Welcome to Season Web 3 of the Infinite Attraction Podcast, where we uncover, rediscover, and riff on Miami tech culture with a human-centric take on the builder community. We are your boots on the ground to help you navigate all that's happening in the magic city. We dive into art, music, business, wellness, fitness, psychedelics, and any exploration into the decentralized world. I'm Elizabeth Arizari. And I'm Chris Johnston. And we're here and we're back. Yeah. refreshed and ready for the month ahead. Yeah, yeah, Miami Tech Month is here. We just got through with Miami Music Week, which I took a little too seriously. Uh, <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's Tuesday. I'm back to life and um yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a long month uh kicking it off this Friday with Miami NFT Week. So, happy anniversary. Yeah. It's like we're here, right? This was around the time that yeah, we started. Yeah, pretty much. So I think at the end of next month. Yeah. The end, end of April. Well, we're here already. Yeah. So, this is like a month long because there isn't a single day in the calendar I think that's free. So, tell me what's going on. What are you excited about? What are we going to? Let's just kind of give everybody a taste for what's coming. I mean, definitely Miami NFT week is uh, is very high on the, on the list of things. Those are all the homies putting it on. And um, and yeah, I'm just excited to, to meet all these people. Um, I think I'm speaking at three o'clock one of the days on, on like promotional or something. I, f- I forget exactly what I'm talking that about. That starts Friday, this Friday. To this s- Friday. Yeah. Uh, April, April one, two and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if, if you can't make it by then, that's too short a notice. Uh, starting on Wednesday of the following week is the Bitcoin conference and then just the overall uh, Bitcoin week of uh, which is happening there, and uh, we we had a, we got a chance to do that last year, and oh man, and it's ah, I can't wait for this month. I know, to be, I'm kinda excited. Go it's through across and the street, over. so I don't get to like worry about driving anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna like walk out of my place and walk over to the convention center. It's the only way. I'm like, yes, I could do this this year. Because mm-hmm. remember, it was madness. Last year was madness. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't even. I didn't even really go to the actual conference last we year. We did I all just the, went to the side yeah, things. We were the coffee sat, shop. The satellite events. Yes. Very, very, very cute. Uh, but no, this year we're going. Yeah. Uh, James, James from Trade Station hooked us up with some tickets. I think they have a. We, we, I got an email today. I think like there's a Wednesday morning thing that's happening, and and I've heard a lot of like hype about it. I don't know what it is, but I think Trade Station is going to do something pretty exciting that Wednesday morning at like eight thirty in the morning. There's like a secret event. It's James se- emailed. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Maybe he said what it was in there, but I didn't. But either way, we're not going to ruin the surprise, even yes, if he did. We're not going to ruin. But um, there's also other events, obviously happening. Um, we do have a, a show coming up almost every day. I think we are taking the 19th off maybe, but we'll see. But other, otherwise, like we do have one every Tuesday for the month for the most part. Um, obviously, there's NF Tuesdays is come, I think comes back. No, no, no. Yeah. We're going to see so, Sam. I, yeah, I think that that comes back on the 5th. Um, there's like some Miami made events, um, a Narrotopia. There's a bike con there's uh, the so- the South Florida DevCon. Obviously, Emerge Emerge Americas will be 18th and 19th, right? Oh yeah, and that's like kind of the kickoff of Miami Tech Week. Yeah, that's like the true Miami Tech Week. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything on the Google Sheet for what's going on that Miami Tech Week. I know there's be a bunch of stuff, but I don't yeah. think anyone really planned it yet, or it has. I haven't seen any announcements for what's mm-hmm. actually going on. So it's funny because I, I also went on the website because people kept asking about that week. And I'm like, there's a lot of like private events. Um, yeah. So 
Not sure about how many public events are happening that week, but I think everyone's going to be exhausted by the end of that, like kind of first three weeks are pretty full. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. But yeah. But then uh, coming into May, we have TEDx Miami. And that uh, that thing brings us to our guest today. Uh, today we have Scandy. Oh, Sandy. Oh no, I I, I messed it. it up. I messed <laughs> it up. I should. Yeah, Sandy. Uh, I'll let her say her last name. And she is the speaker director of this uh, exciting time for the the Miami Tech. Or I'm sorry, um, TEDx Miami. And then we have Gregory Johnson, the co-founder of uh, DataGovs, and uh, and they're going to tell you a little bit more about that right now. Sandy, let's start with you. How do you say your last name? I messed. It up. You kind of mix them together. Yeah, Scandy. <laughs> Sandy Scalini. Scalini. Yes. Oh, you even have it phonetically for me. I'm so bad. <laughs> He's not paying attention. I have to. It's been butchered my whole life. So. That's all right. That's yeah. all right. I'm Johnston with a T, and so obviously everyone just calls it like your name, Johnson. Not too bad. Not too bad. So what is uh, what's going on? What's going? What are you, what are we doing here with uh, with TEDx? So TEDx that's obviously the that's kind of the smaller chapter of the overall TED conference, but still the largest regional uh, TED event. Uh, yeah, wh what are you guys doing? Yeah, we're back. TEDx Miami is back. Um, the last time we had a major event was in 2013. So. This year, actually, before the pandemic, we've been kind of gearing up for this main event, and we got pushed back, uh, you know, two years, like everybody has. Uh, had a had a couple of smaller events. By smaller, I mean one mm -hmm. with two hundred people. Um, and now we have our main event coming up May nineteenth, which is at the New World Center on Miami Beach, and uh, we're excited to to be here right now. We're in the process of coaching our speakers and. Um, where we are today, you have the special privilege of dropping the first name for uh, our speakers. We're, you, it's been a mystery up until today, but today you're going to get to hear who one of our speakers is. How exciting. So now you, now you have to introduce yourself. Tell us all about you. Wow, now I'm on the stage. Um, <laughs> so my name no is Gregory Johnson, um, co-founder of DataGovs, um, longtime Miami, and I'm originally from Jamaica. And I'm really happy to you know be one of the first TEDx Miami speakers to be announced and dropped. Amazing. So tell us more, though. So you're saying you're from, you're were you raised here? Yeah, mm -hmm. I was raised in Miami. I grew up in Miami Gardens. Oh yeah. Um, I got into tech really early in my career in 2012 here in Miami, and I started a journey in building software, especially for data analytics products, right up the road at the Health District, um, where I think Civic Innovation Center used to be. Um, I started a seed accelerator, and I got a wonderful opportunity to work as a developer and build products for a startup that got sold in 2016. Um, I stuck on the ride and we built another business and um, it sold in 2019. Um, and then after that journey, I took over a small chapter here in Miami called Code for Miami. And we were able to turn that organization into Code for South Florida, where we essentially took open data and um, public code and built applications to solve civic problems here in Miami with governments, with organizations. And um, while doing that, as a six to nine, I had my nine to five job at Microsoft, where I got the wonderful opportunity to kind of work in investments for the Florida area, as well as work with building technology, specifically around cloud-based applications, using AI and um, Internet of Things to do a bunch of interesting things, especially for solving problems. Um, so today, I get the wonderful opportunity to talk about DataGovs, which we built while doing a research project at Stanford. And... Um, 
is just taking all that experience that we had kind of working with government enterprises, organizations, as well as people, and turning that into something that can kind of really kind of support them in a way that we didn't see in the market. Wow. Holy yeah. moly. Greg is like wow. a, a Miami Tech OG such, here. Such I know. an OG. Yeah. And you look really young, too. I don't know if it, that, you can't really, it doesn't really come over, the, come over the airwaves because you speak really well. But uh, yeah, quite an accomplished, quite a, quite a, quite a list, man. So, so DataGovs, is it, is it mostly government? Is it mostly that B2G play? Uh, so we get that a lot. So for DataGovs actually means governance. Mm-hmm. So governance and management of data. So it's actually a lot of a lot of different industries. Government is one of our uh, customers. So City of Miami, formerly Mike Sarasti, Eric Gavin, a bunch of those folks that I know have been on this podcast are kind of oh, yeah. people we work with. Um, but we actually have a widespread. So for us, we're tackling kind of like the Internet of Things. So machines and sensors all connected to the Internet and making sense of that data as well as how, understanding how they're using that data and what they're doing with that data. Mm-hmm. And for businesses, making sure that they can leverage that data to help them with day-to-day things. We often don't think about it, but the scooter down the street is collecting data about you as you move from point A to point B. Um, if it's in the road, if it's on the bridge, somebody has to go and take that up, and that's all data. So for DataGovs, what we do is help organizations make sense out of that using data analytics and artificial intelligence. That's amazing. Uh, City of Core Gables does quite a bit with IoT, and they have like amazing projects. I'm sure you've heard of some of the stuff that like Raymundo is doing there. But that's one of the conversations we had. Like, what do you do with all this? So once he showed me everything in their facility, I'm like, well, now what do you do with all this data? Yeah, you got to make. You have to drive actions, right? So what are some of those like actions you're looking to drive, or what are some of the most valuable ones your clients find? Yeah, so I think it's all about like people make it seem a little futuristic i think it's all about connected operations so what happens when everything is connected you can do a lot of wonderful things so we're seeing a lot of kind of usage in fleet management so people driving trucks and big vehicles you don't think about it but oftentimes they're driving for a really long time so they have cameras in those vehicles that actually like track them in terms of like eyes and making sure their eyes are on the road notifies them if you know you're working like a 10 or 11 hour shift hey you need to make sure you you take a break or something like that Um, then you have sensors that are in actually like um, buildings themselves and making sure that people have their mask on or making sure that their helmets are on so they're tracking safety for that and then I think there's just practical use cases which is like water meter and energy and all the stuff that we know is really important for the environment sensors make it really easy to collect data organize that and kind of understand carbon emissions a reduction that's a big thing here in Miami so we're seeing kind of like a bunch of different use cases, but it's all in kind of like this smart building, smart homes, and smart kind of facilities. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah. So, are there anything? A lot of times, these these machines can pick up on like you know huge like uh, huge patterns that humans really can't. Have you seen any like really big patterns kind of emerge that that you that really surprised you that, that that came out? Like, what are some of those things that that were like, oh my god, I can't believe I can't believe it worked like that. I want to say there's patterns. I think. One of the scariest things about artificial intelligence today is it's all around us and all encompassing in our life, but there isn't a lot of kind of like regulation around it. So I think for me, it's the scary piece right now is like, how do we think about regulation or policies around this? Um, you go and drive your car, you know, and you go up the block and somebody already knows what your car is. You walk out of the car, there's a camera, it takes your face and it can already know your identity. So there's a lot of kind of like things to talk about when it comes to privacy and data. I think that's one of the things that I'm kind of concerned about the most. And I think it's just general in the space. Um, But in terms of like amazing things that are happening, I mean, they're using this to train machines to identify images for radiology and healthcare. Um, They're using um, data and massive amounts of it to help with public safety in terms of detecting gunshots. So there's a lot of like interesting things that are being applied. Um, 
one cool thing that I think is kind of like when you think about sensors is actually your smartphone. So if you own an Apple iPhone, the 12 Pro and 13 Pro actually has a LiDAR sensor on it. So you can actually use that to create a 3D rendering. Um, for one of our clients, actually with the city of Miami, even using that to digitize how they look at bikes and scooters and motorized assets as well as buildings. And it's just really cool how you can take something and make it a 3D render. So we could actually turn this entire office here into like a 3D rendering and mo model. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, where it gets really fascinating, I think, is turning those things into 3D renderings and models and then saying, okay, what are the sensors in the area here? So what if you turn this into a 3D rendering and model and then say, hey, this is a sensor that was there at that point. Then you get into something called like digital twins, which I think speaks a lot to the theme of Web3 and Metaverse. But it's more practical in some cases where you're taking your phone and inspecting like a sensor in the same way you'd expect inspect a website if you're a developer. But all this that all this that it's collecting, someone's inputting it, right? And it's saying this is what you need to look out for, right? So mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, I recently like um, sit, sat on a panel for and I, and I heard a discussion around was like data bias. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that being like the biggest, I would say the number one issue in, in the space, right? In, um, in artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that it, it matters the people that are working on these projects and the information that is being inputted because the information that it's capturing, it's because also someone had to code it and say, this is what you need to be looking at. And there's always gaps in, in that, you know, and, and obviously that we can find gaps within the code or within the data that is being collected, right? And you can correct me because I'm not an expert and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I think what we're generally seeing, you know, as somebody that used to run an organization called like Code for Miami and Code for South Florida, I think data is becoming the code in some ways. And the reason I say that is because a lot of, like there's a lot of ways to build software and it usually takes code. But now we have so much data, we need to figure out ways to manage it. And I think the point that you just mentioned, which is like bias and, you know, AI bias, which is a great film on Netflix about it, if you haven't seen it, um, it really ties down, I think, a lot of it that scares people to identity. So when you think about like all these different like models, you have to train these things to understand stuff. It doesn't just pop up and say, OK, let me take a photo of like Sandy and OK, this is a woman like you have to train it to actually do these things in the same way you train a baby. Mm -hmm. But if you only show a baby like one type of photo, or one type of image, it's only going to be able to identify that. So if you mm -hmm. show Sandy in a photo and it only has been trained on male data, it may be like, okay, this is a male, but obviously we know that's not. So I think it gets a little bit more pressing when it comes to like your training models with like one type of race or ethnicity. And then public safety teams are using this facial recognition software and it's not able to identify a black person from somebody else. I think that's where it gets into. So I think that's where the scare is with um, AI systems. It's when you're making critical decisions that impact somebody's life on if they go to jail or not and the system isn't accurate should we be using these systems or should we be taking some time to understand what the biases in the program and the machine learning wow this is really interesting this is something that i've just lately i'm like so fascinated by and i've been like doing a little bit of research on so sandy how what's the topic what's you know are we allowed to know anything is that like hush hush uh, still I, I i told greg that he needs to yeah, this is like a teaser. This is a teaser. He teaser. can't, he can't okay. give his talk today. Don't okay. Don't yeah. do it. Fine. For sure. <laughs> so how did you how did you meet? How did you find him? How does it work? How does oh TEDx decide on their speakers? That sounds like a tough job. It is actually so much harder than you think it is. We had three hundred and fifty applications uh, wow. that were kind of randomly sent to us uh, through our website. And we had to call that. So we did a mixture of uh, reviewing the applications that we got and um, do, making a short list, interviewing people, um, and also then looking into our community for 
kind of talent um, topics that are really up and coming, you know, under uh, maybe under recognized experts in our and you know, in our um, local community that really could use some more airtime. So one of the things I love about TED is that this isn't about um, celebrity, right? It's not about the hype mm-hmm. and, and all and all of that. It's about it's a it's about the the integrity of it is the idea. Okay, is this an idea worth spreading? And so we have to really look at what is the idea. I don't want to hear about you, you know, like your CV and and, um, and how awesome yeah, and popular you know. and everybody loves you. Yeah, hundred thousand yeah. followers on Instagram. Yeah, you know, yeah. and sometimes I would, you know, I would get like um, PR, um, you know, agents or rep- reps contacting me on behalf of their clients, and I'm like, you know, it, it's a stronger case if your client is coming to me to pitch themselves, right? Because then that means you're really hungry for this opportunity. It's a lot of work. Okay, this is, uh, as Greg knows, now we've been in coaching mode. So once we make this decision, we have to call 350 down to, what do we have, 10 people. Um, and once we once we do that, we have to go through this coaching process. So we've been five months, uh, and like every other week, wow. coaching, uh, you know, all 10 of our speakers, and getting them to a point where the, the, the talk is 10 minutes, nice packaged in the whole, you know, TED formula in a very authentic way, according to each speaker. Ooh, and, there's a TED uh, formula? Oh, how exciting. It's a book. You can get it. Really? Yeah. Well, it, give us, give us the TLDR. What is, this, what is this TED formula? What is the secret to, like, tickling the, uh, the, the, the intellect in the way TED uh, and, and only core, TED can do? Or at least the core, you know, the yeah. core things that we should know. Yeah, well, it's like narrative storytelling, right? You start with, you have a hook to start, and then you you wrap it around, you draw the audience in with some kind of, um, you know, connecting to you in some way. So, you, you know, you want to bring yourself into it. You have your big idea. You're going to frame it in a way that is relatable to the whole audience. So even if it's a very big, highly technical idea, you might wrap that all into an analogy, for example, mm-hmm. or a metaphor through, through the talk. Okay. Um, but in the end, you kind of bring it back around. You wrap it, you know, you tie it up with a little bow. You usually kind of mm. come back to the beginning uh, almost, right? And um, But everybody is different. So it, it really depends. There's different talks. There's technological talks. There's uh, scientific talks. There's issue-based talks or kind of personal experiences with overcoming some challenge. Mm. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit different for everybody. Um, but... Yeah, you yeah. all know you've watched yeah. TED Talks, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, endless. They're like endless magic, right? Ten yeah. minutes. And it, it, the boom, storytelling is what fascinates me. Yeah. Like I find myself to be a storyteller, and everything my mom says. Sometimes I could just wrap it up in five seconds, but I don't because I have to explain it in like certain way. And I love listening and watching the TED Talks because I'm like, they've got to make me feel something. You know what I mean? And that, like, that to me is so exciting. And and that the fact that you can simplify an idea for the rest of the world to understand it that is so valuable because yeah. so many people just miss out on 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 a message because they don't understand and it isn't maybe well communicated right right and honestly uh, when we were interviewing speakers to begin with we were actually looking for what was the hidden gem underneath what they were trying to tell us mm. so it was it was more like okay this is what you think the idea is but is there something else going on here that we can pull out when we're coaching and i think that that's really magical when that happens because it's you know speakers don't always understand they they know their expertise 
they want to give you their, you know, one hour long presentation with all the details and explain this and that. Um, it could be that you're just rolling around that idea from the back or from the side in a different way. And it's just as impactful and it blows people's minds. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was um, if you all have a chance to watch this and I, I don't remember the guy's name, but there is a TED talk. And the guy basically goes through how to give a TED talk. But he's Is like, it funny, right? He's hilarious, hilarious. because I he's saw like, that one. so I'm going to touch my, I'm going to put my glasses like this and move them like this because I'm going to make it look like I'm smart and you're going to believe me and you're all going to laugh, right? Yeah, yeah. that was that was crucial. There was definitely was, some coaching that went to that one. It was the best TED Talk because he was talking, it was like he was demonstrating how to give a TED Talk by narrating all the steps of giving a TED Talk. Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. hilarious. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Well, this is really exciting. I, I, I'm really looking forward to this event. Like you, you said you have 10 speakers. I wanted to make sure I clarify that. Or we're not yes. allowed to know those details. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Now we're dropping the names of the speakers now gradually between now and our event. Oh, so exciting. Everybody's going to have a little bit of their own airtime uh, in our social media channels. So, Sandy, I asked you this while we were sitting down. But like, how do you how do you get involved with something like this? Like, what do you actually do? This isn't like the only thing that you do, which we know. Oh but tell us, tell us like the depth of. You told me a little bit earlier about you being on a on a TED Talk yourself, and then you've kind of fell in love with it, and then you said, you know, I want to help with the speakers. So, give us a little bit more on that. Yeah. So in 2013, I was a I was a TED speaker, and honestly, it was the best experience as uh, as an educator, as a speaker. That opportunity to sit with the coaches, have them really refine your talk, break it down into the very basic elements. Um, you know, transmit your message in 12 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is. It was so impactful to me. Uh, and I just wanted to give back. When I heard that Ted was coming back, then I just called them and I said, hey, I've done this. I want to be a part of this. And, and they brought me on. And so we're all volunteers. Uh, we accept volunteers. And, you know, it's really just about taking initiative and showing up. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing, you, you know, just go to the website. There's a volunteer application. Also, tickets to the event are on our website, TEDxMiami.com. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, but I do this, and it's a volunteer gig. So this is at. So tell us what Saturdays. you actually do. <laughs> tell us about earlier. You showed us some of the something cool <laughs> that you picked up on the internet. So we'll let you tell us about that. Oh yeah. So I do have a full time job. I, I do run an organization called Mindful Kids Miami, and we do uh, mindfulness trainings for teachers and social workers and uh, mindfulness programs for kids in Miami. Uh, but what, I, what I'm really interested in with the tech world, I've been kind of circling around the Miami tech scene since 2013 when I was uh, working out of the lab. Um, and now I am back in school. I'm getting my PhD in public affairs at FIU, and I'm focusing my dissertation research on Dow governance. So. What led you to, to go down that rabbit hole? <laughs> Interesting. So my history has really been in Miami has been community organizing. And I built a, you know, um, in the early 2000s, a system of care for child sex trafficking victims here. And at that time, we really didn't know anything about the issue in Miami. And so it was a process of learning to kind of take the initiative and build a coalition, build support, um, train people, educate people. And now we have this really thriving model kind of community with regards to trafficking. 
In the process, I've also witnessed the evolution of technology and how technology was used to exploit people in trafficking and also how ex- technology was being used by law enforcement and others to help assist um, people that were being trafficked, and you know, for good or bad, or however that was looking, right? Because there wasn't a lot of regulation about how they're using the technology even to help, right? So, um, so that kind of got me really interested in is this uh, kind of this tech, the intersection between technology and human rights, and also um, how is kind of law enforcement, or you know, how is Big Brother using technology and, and in a way. Um, uh, in the criminal justice system and things like that. So that's what kind of got me on this track of learning more about um, tech, AI, you know, all of the things that we've already been talking about. And then when I ran into Web3, it was like, forget it. I fell down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. As you do. <laughs> As we all have already. So Dow governance, like what what are some of the what are some of the the key tools that you find because uh, I feel like it, as a whole, it's kind of an underdeveloped market. You know, there's a lot of things like, you know, an upstream, we vote on things, but it's not a trustless system. We have to trust Alex to actually do the things we trust. I and mean, we do, but uh, but to me, I think that's like the real blocker of of, yeah. go- of like decentralized governance is that like you, you really don't have to trust anyone. You're voting and then something happens. So like, what are some of those tools that, that you've seen? kind of coming out. And, and the formula isn't necessarily the same for every day. No, absolutely Yeah, not. No, actually, it's really interesting that you brought up the issue of trust because I'm toying with that as an idea for my dissertation because this is supposedly a trustless system, right? But, mm-hmm. the, but the reality is when you're self-organizing and it's a hierarchy, you know, a hierarchy-less, uh, non-hierarchical, sorry, um, flat kind of organizational structure in a DAO, then you know, you have to trust each other, right? So what what keeps you in a DAO? Say you're a community member, you join, you join up on one of the discords, you're like, how much do I want to, how much of my time and energy do I want to contribute to be like a meaningful participant in this mm-hmm. um, organization? And you have to decide that based on certain criteria. And some of those criteria are going to be whether you trust that the DAO is going to, you know, act on its mission, it's going to achieve goals, it's going to not, you know, pull the rug on you or whatever, right? So there is actual real trust involved, social trust that leads to collective action. And I find that um, achieving that in a kind of virtual space, something that's really fascinating, especially a virtual space where people are coming in with not their real images on their profile pictures, not their real names, you know? So you don't know who you're interacting with, where they're from. Um, And in some ways, people say that that adds like it's more equitable that way right because you don't know there's you know you're not looking at somebody and discriminating against Mm -hmm. them um but in other ways you don't know who you're talking to right and but there is like a a a beauty to it i think because when we started it was very interesting to me to think back like wow i connected with a lot of people that i just felt right about communicating with online you know we're doing that all whether via twitter whether discord whatever was happening and that's not normally me. I'm much more inclined to want to meet people in person. I love to meet people in person. I love to interact with people. But I felt that the community was, you know, the Web3 community was really nice and everyone was pretty positive. Um, I didn't really experience too much like backlash or, you know, I honestly had a good I had a good experience. And and then I thought as I was getting more involved in projects, um, now I think 
it's just not going to last forever. The ones that I've had more involvement, it's because there was somehow I ended up meeting some people in person that maybe only knew me via whatever my handle was, like Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, are you Darth Vader? I'm like, oh, that, that's me. I'm like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> yes. <awkward. laughs> I should I answer like this. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, that. yes, that's me. Um, and that was really fun because it was like, oh, like that's interesting why Darth Vader and then like we went on a whole tangent because they're like oh you're also five foot tall I'm like oh thank you I know um but it was really fun to meet some people in person it separated all of like the idea of what you look like for a little bit and then it was more about like your contribution and your collaboration and the way that you would speak to people hearing twitter spaces and all that and now that we are so much there's so much more um in person things happening at least for us here imagine you you spend less time online there's there's very little time to be online so it's like the people that you are communicating with online you're like have we met before or even if we've never met like you set up a plan to meet so if there is no uh, hybrid version of this I'm not sure that the DAOs would last forever like I'm not sure that they would really feel the sense of trust or forever. I'm not sure that that would be, I don't know if your thoughts on this are. I'm very curious about that. I'm very curious about that. So, you know, like I said, my background has been community organizing. And so that's what I see happening in this DAO space is all about community organizing. How do you get people um, to kind of work together to achieve goals or whatever purpose is? Um, There are a lot of elements to that. You have to be clear on the mission, on the purpose. Um, you have to be motivated in some way, uh, either implicitly through you know, just having public service motivation because you want to do good for the world or because there's some kind of incentive built into it that you're um, able to, to uh, make good on. But you know, I think that the, um, I think that there's like a lot of hype right now because there's a lot of unknown and promise of, well, we haven't of changing built it yet. things, right? Yeah, we haven't yeah. built it yet. So it's it... still tooling. It's still getting worked out. Um, there's this idea that we can live in this kind of almost like anarchist collective kind of space and, and be equal. But the, good, the really cool thing about it is that the people starting it are the ones setting the norms, And so you're creating this kind of normative atmosphere in the DAO space. And I'm hoping that more people that are very intentional about diversity, equity, and inclusion are going to be in this space making sure, being very vocal and and intentional about that. Because if you're not and you're just going to kind of let these DAOs get saturated with people that just want to, you know, make a whole bunch of money and, and mm-hmm. then it'll just end up being the, the society we already live in. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we can set norms now at this early stage and live, you know, live up to them and say, like, well, this is what we're how we're defining a DAO. This is how we're defining the decentralized autonomous organization. Right. Which is starting to happen now. Right. Like where he we're getting all these like NFT projects that early on it was so heavy, heavy on investing, investing, flipping it, making money. And now projects are trying to say, OK, like we need to be a little bit more intentional because we're seeing that they sell out. And we had this conversation um, that they sell out. And then what? Yeah. Where's the where's the engagement? It drops off. Actually, more than 50% drops off. There are no analytics on this. No one's keeping track because we just keep pumping these projects to sell them out. And then what? So it's it's interesting to me to see what projects stand, stick around 
um, the projects that are sticking around and are trying to, hey, listen, this project's NFT is not necessary. It's a membership. You're not buying something that is going to like, you, you know, it's not the intention right off, you know, the bat is not necessarily for you to flip it for a profit, uh, which a lot of projects sometimes get that kind of, you know, heat for that. But it's interesting to me to see that happening with NFTs and DAOs now starting to say, okay, we can't just keep creating DAOs. Like, let's think about how strong our community is first. Like, what are we trying to do here? What's the intention behind creating this DAO? Who are we inviting? Before we open it, like you said, you have to set some kind of foundation. What's the vibe check here? You know, like, does and then you can step in there and say, okay, this feels like a place I want to be. It'll naturally attract if you've done all the work, all that foundational work. Um, and then what do you do with the power of all that data that you're collecting? Because a DAO is essentially collecting data, information. The community is collaborating, right? Yeah. And I'd and yeah. say for, for me, you know, I consider myself a technologist. So for me, it's always interesting seeing kind of these cycles in technology. Like Web 1 was definitely decentralized and then Web 2 was uh, centralized. And then Web 3 is, you know, now getting back to the, okay, let's be decentralized. And we always kind of see this tipping point where it goes back to centralization in many ways because Centralizing things makes it very easy in terms of like as a from development stance to get proper user experience. And what we see is like when there's a problem, people want to know who to turn to when there's that problem. They don't want to hear, okay, I just lost all these tokens here. Like, where do I go? Well, it's decentralized. So just make sure that next time you do this right thing. So I think it's interesting in that case. Um, what I'm seeing, you know, for us at DataGovs, I mean, we're supporting clients and customers as well as partners in the Web3 ecosystem or cryptocurrency and blockchain. So we're working with kind of folks like Helium and IOD, and what we're kind of seeing is um, this shift back to let's solve a problem. It's just like you mentioned. I mean, you know, it's there's a kind of like rush to kind of let's drop NFT, let's do this DAO, but what's the sustainable model behind it? You know, people aren't going to just keep joining these things knowing that it has a high potential of failing. For us, we're starting to enable some really interesting use cases around that. We're working with a group um, called Helium. They have these, um, these these great kind of like hotspots where you can mine and set up um, hotspots to give other people internet and then earn helium credits. And it's really interesting in, in, in some cases because now there's a network of like 600,000 helium hotspots. And it's one of the use cases that I believe um, even like uh, NYC, some article wrote about it as one of the utility use cases of crypto. So we're seeing kind of a shift. In Europe, we're seeing also like this um, technology called IOTA, which is having this kind of like different model on distributed ledger technology. And what I'm seeing there is there's a bunch of different innovations coming up that actually compete with a lot of the stuff we're seeing locally with upstream, with like crypto, cryptoys. And what I'm seeing is like these new models to me are going to be really interesting in the next couple of years because it kind of breaks away from the traditional kind of pain points of some of the things we're seeing with Ethereum, which is like gas fees. Mm -hmm. What happens when you have a technology that has no fees tied to it? What happens when it's scalable and it's eco-friendly? Will people adopt that or will they continue to use this? So I think there's a lot of kind of interesting things happening. As a technologist, I always go back to the things that will last will solve a problem. Um, as they solve a problem, they'll have a model that makes it easy to become sustainable, meaning they have to generate revenue in some case. And I don't think kind of like the NFT model right now, just flipping things and holding things is going to be sustainable for long term. Definitely not. 
Not for like the greater masses, for sure. No, that's something that Drew Austin always talks about from Knights of DJ, and he's like, yeah. he's like, is 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 NFTs the only way your DAO makes money? Like that's like a good sign of like you know not gonna make it because you need because you know he's doing all kinds of things. Like he he raised that fund through initial drop of, of NFTs, uh, but then went on to do all kinds of things and 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 really brought it together and driving value. And I think that's something that you know people think that NFTs are PFPs. Which like way different, you know, like mm-hmm. like I, I heard someone say uh, that like there's there's a thousand uses for NFTs and art is the worst one, and and I that was that stuck with me because I think that uh, people have this misconception for it. I wish we got. I, all, we got I'm pulling gotta, up. I wish everyone could see this. I'm pulling up this image and I save it to my desktop every time I get a question about an NFT. I'm like, yes, this is how many potential NFT uh, case like use cases like exist. People think that it's just art. It's not. There's a lot, and so we're stuck in in what it was. Cre- it was created in one way, and that's what we all saw first. So we're obsessed with these PFPs, but we're st- it's starting to die out already. It's yeah. like, and then oh, yeah. the PFP, it, even to a degree, like we're using it as ad is like, this is my identity and this is who I am. And, and how long are we actually going to be using that for? And th- does it have to be a verified like PFP for it to be your identity or not? It just, it seems mm. so rudimentary to me. I was like, it seems kind of like elementary and, and this is where we are right now. But yeah. we had to, we had to start somewhere everybody could understand, mm. which is art, right? Because that's how you can compare it at the moment. So, like I, when I do explain what NFTs are, I do start with art. And okay, so how does an artist that maybe has a real painting, if they sell it to another person, make any profit from that? If that person resells it, so you start there at the bare minimum to give them an example of of something of how an NFT can be used. But there is so much more. And if we're able to use these NFTs, like obviously they use them in the metaverse, NFTs like part of, you know, either whether you do wearables, whether there's obviously a ton of different utility behind the NFT within the metaverse and people just haven't even gotten there yet to under fully understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, only unless you're you're doing games. So if, if you're gamifying it, then of course you know what NFTs are within the metaverse. But get our identity, right? Those two things are the most popular. But I think to to see the potential of of where it can go, and the companies that are trying to go beyond the the, the standard definition of NFT, then that's going to be like the true impact uh, that I think can happen in Web3. And it's like the new wave of startups are going to be these Web3 kind of NFTs, DAOs, you know, that's going to be the new wave of like what we're calling, you know, startups. Yeah. And I would even take it like, like step back, like from my personal like views, like I don't even like the term Web3 because I think it kind of like brings kind of like this certain belief that, okay, this is like a new form of the web. I think the internet should have always been designed in a way that, you know, kind of give people choice. You shouldn't um, opt into just giving your data randomly. But I think when it gets down to the technology piece of this, you know, profile pics, PFP, what is an NFT? You know, people say non-fungible token. And um, oftentimes, like in our work as a data company, people are like, why are you working in crypto or NFTs? And it's like, you know, what is an NFT? An NFT is a unit of data that's stored on a public ledger. What public ledger it is, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just a unit of data. So there's traditional databases and now there's NFTs, but you can tokenize any asset. And I think when people start realizing any asset 
that's when things start kind of like growing in many ways. Um, we've seen one group in use case where folks are um, turning and digitizing token, turning um, physical assets such as these hotspots into NFTs. And the people are like, okay, why would you do that? And it's like, well, if you can track the NFT of a hotspot and see how much internet it's serving to somebody, that's really interesting data from a historical point. And good parallels to that are like things like Carfax. Like when you go to Carfax.com, you get a history of a specific vehicle with technologies like blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. What you can do is get like a whole history of a vehicle that's not in a centralized database. And what's more, if you have an identity tied to that, you can say, hey, I want to give this organization access to this vehicle history. And then you get into some really interesting use cases, right? You know, Carfax is a big company. They're making a lot of money. I think once people start thinking more about that, it's going to get to that point. But right now we're still in kind of like the cat video phase of like where the internet was. Yeah. Internet. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> a lot of cat videos and a lot of companies yes. coming up and mm. I think the bubble is going to burst in the same way a lot of the companies that were building on the dot-com era happened. And what you'll see is like real innovation happening. You know, that's when the Googles and the Yahoos of the world were running and things and I think, again, it's going to go back to people solving problems and a lot of it's probably going to be centralized in many ways i think so yeah yeah people people don't we're not replacing web 2 with web 3 this is just this is an additional layer yeah. we're putting on top of it and it's really kind of a small layer when you like like if you're doing like some kind of complex defi thing then then yeah that's going to be like a whole nother huge layer but a lot of times like i mean to me the most important part of web 3 is that it's just one single uh, login for the whole internet I mean, instead of logging in to a like to to someone else's server, you're just kind of uh, associating the the actions you take with your own account, and and I think that's something that, that kind of gets lost. And and I think PFPs aren't going away because I think that you're going to need a different PFP for all these different identities you have online. You're not going to want to go, you know, shopping for your car insurance the same place in the same way you shop for you know some of your you know like. Let's let's call let's call it some more of the fun things you do online. You're gonna want to you're gonna want to separate those identities, and you can you can you can you can attach identities to one and not attach identities to another. You can choose to to give it to to someone, and and I think that's really important, especially when we were talking before about equity and inclusion. You know, once you are just a you know you're just a public address. That's all anyone knows about you. You can learn more about that public address. You can still serve them. You know, like. Uh, you know, smart ad data, you, you, you know what they like, but it's only based on their actions, not about, you know, what they know about you personally. And, and I think that's really important. I think, I, I think doxing is like, right now people know, like, don't dox people. But I think in the future, you know, doxing is going to be like a, a serious crime, I think. What do you guys think? Wow, you put a lot concept. of thought into this. Yeah, especially that you know double personality thing going on. Double, double triple, uh, many many identities. <laughs> well, how many of us There's... don't have the different identities, right? Because yeah. think about what you do at work, and then when you go out with your friends, and the and then the things that you do with your family. Like you, we do separate, we separate our lives quite a bit. Maybe you have a group of friends that you mm -hmm. don't bring together because they you don't feel like it's gonna jive. Sure, sure. I post some things on Facebook and other things on Instagram and other things on, on Twitter. Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And LinkedIn and other I've got another Twitter account. If I ever want to use, if I ever if if I ever want to say something that I'm really thinking, I'm like, all right, gotta. Put that on the Alguda account. Don't, don't want to really put that one associated to me. And it kind of gives you more freedom because then you feel like you yeah. see something, if you see some thread online that's pissing you off and you don't want to get into it with your professional account, you just kind of... Yeah. Well. So, I mean, there's so there's so much interest, interesting, uh, so many interesting things about this identity issue. N not, not the least of which is this whole like quantum physics, like Buddhist, no self kind of idea where we're seem to be moving towards this idea of 
of just having no attachment to like this very static one self, right? And um, I mean, I think that's interesting, but there's also the downside of that. I mean, there's pluses, but then there's also the downside, which is that people feel way more uh, comfortable being, you know, assholes online, um, hurting other people, um, you know, exploiting kids. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of behaviors now, deviant behaviors that are becoming more normalized because they're not being, there's no accountability Mm -hmm. if you don't have it attached to an identity. I I kind of agree, but it could also just be that identity again. And, you know, I think, and I think governance is going to be a big part of it because, you know, I, I think the community should be able to kick you off a social media platform, but like, should the social media platform itself be able to kick you off? Which is something I'm kind of not for. I, I, I'm not. That's I'm not a big fan of that. I think that, I think that you. I, I would love to see a future where I can tweet something and I just put it out and it can get picked up and but by different social media networks. I'm calling it a tweet, but what's a tweet? It's it's a couple characters. Maybe it's an image. Maybe it's a link. Maybe it's a location. Maybe it's a poll thing. Uh, but you know, every whether it's on Facebook or on Instagram, on like Twitter, it's all just one thing and i think that we're going to see a lot of these identities and a lot of these decentralized networks kind of pop up so like you know if you get if you do get kicked off the twitter you know you're still posting in the same place you would have it's just going to some other network that you're you're joining a part of that that is controlled by the group yeah well i mean yeah. you're bringing up social media but the, the thing is that these decentralized networks don't work the same way as social media so social media platforms actually have algorithms that amplify and, and promote what you're saying if it's getting more attention and more hits. And so as human beings, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting our, our amygdalas are fi- firing off at like threats of, you know, threats and danger and, and all of these kind of attention getting things. And so, you know, we have lots of advertising, uh, media, all of that is kind of built around this idea like let's fire that amygdala, let's get people freaked out. Um, and so when you, when you, post something on social media and it gets attention in that way then the so then the social media platform the algorithm is actually amplifying it spreading it more and more so they're just acting as your megaphone right it's not like you know it's not about freedom of speech or not i mean they can just cut the algorithm off to you and then you can say what you want to your you know 500 friends on your facebook or something um and then not have it go anywhere but you know, it's. I think it's a little bit different in a decentralized world. I don't think that you're going to see that level of amplification. Well, I think we'd we'd get more control of it. I mean, I think you know, again, what we were talking about before about like these trustless systems haven't been built yet. But you know, once we get to a certain level, and you know, these things are put on chain, like why couldn't we vote on what gets pushed up? Like you know, because obviously we we've all seen with like the social like. It, first of all, it does a lot of horrible things to young young adolescents, and you know it, it causes a lot of problems there. And it's because that the the corporations get to have control over what gets amplified, and they don't put it out to you guys. They just know what affects their bottom line, what's going to get more clicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I would hope in the future when it, when it is decentralized, when these rules are on chain, and my one NFT vote kind of can can say yes or no, I can pick and choose. Okay, this is what I think I should want to see, not just you know not just some incendiary you know, Maldoff cocktail that someone just decides to tweet off and, and piss everyone <laughs> off like that. That's what I think is the, the scariest part with the, the centralized system. And you got to get it out there so we can decide what gets amplified. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I also think that this is where kind of my mindfulness side comes into because we, you know, 
we think that we are rational actors just making decisions um, in this kind of like free and rational world and logical world. Um, the reality is, is that we're acting out of, you know, through filters, um, through past traumas, through past relationships and experiences. And, um, and I think it's really hard just to say like, you know, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm not going to be reacting to that. Right. Y you are going to be reacting to stuff mm -hmm. and probably illogically. You know, and so definitely logically, and I think that that if we're um, living in a kind of community where where that's what's getting the attention or getting you know boosted, then then we're in trouble because then we're just kind of constantly living at the at the base of our brain. You know, we're constantly living in this survival mode as opposed to pausing, being present. You know, and all of these other things that we need to kind of calm our calm our mental states right yeah i agree and i think it also goes back to the centralization versus decentralization like peace like back in the day you know we had tvs in the 90s and, you know 80s and we had all these different shows and you had to subscribe to each different show and then netflix came and was like you know you could just get everything in one place and you know what happens uh, and what we're seeing with nfts and wallets right is you probably have a lot of nft products you're part of 20 30 40 maybe more and now you have to track all those different airdrops or different rewards and if you don't claim it you may miss oh something God, the FOMO. so oh so, my God. so what's going to happen when a service comes and says hey we can kind of bundle that for you and kind of just have all 40 of these nfts in one place and we'll track that for you are you going to be like eh, i don't know some people may opt out but generally what happens is folks are like eh, if we if you trust the service and if it's not taking yeah. advantage of our data let's lean on it so i think there's going to be kind of like more bundling of services yeah. that are going to happen because people are going to be like we can't manage all these different things on every different chain yeah and it's i think it's going to be cyclical as well because you, you you brought up like okay we had all these different channels and now it's just boom we're on netflix but now you got paramount plus and hbo max and and apple tv plus and all these different things so you know i think every time it like it'll 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 centralize then just scatter and decentralize again but i think that's a that's a healthy cycle because then at least you don't get you know, just like, you know, the U.S. Supreme, the U.S. government that just is like, you know, like I saw this amazing picture of Nancy Pelosi shaking hands with JFK. Like, <laughs> it's just like put it really put it into perspective of like how long this woman has been in power is that she is like standing there looking not too young in front of JFK. And and that's just like, you know, that's what I think we can get. Like, as long as we can have that kind of like the cyclical, you know, star of like, you know, coming together, forming the star and exploding into everything else i mean i think that as many times as we can get those iteration cycles going at least for a piece of technology it's going to come out better yeah, but then that's really that's really interesting to think about in the sense that we can pause and say okay this is a cycle and we can accept the way you know instead of being really uh, upset that we didn't get to go to this one event or we didn't get this nft like yeah. this embrace is it embrace the embrace the process embrace the moment i mean this is a super exciting time you know, it, and again, you mentioned trust again, like people aren't trusting the government as much as they used to. Right. So now we're starting to see this. Can can DAOs become the new government? Right. Can we can public affairs turn into kind of like a decentralized direct democracy of some sort where everybody has power? Um, and so but it's creating these conversations. Um, and that's one of the things I find super fascinating about this space. Yeah, it's injecting ideas. So I think we need to embrace the fact that this is a time of of just being aware of what's happening in your surrounding, being aware of the things that are kind of driving the, the just the energy in the space that we are right now. And 
obviously, like it is going to have ups and downs and we're all figuring it out. So when everybody's like, oh, well, everyone says this is Web3, isn't it supposed to be futuristic? I'm like, no, it's in the early stages. Like nothing works the way it should probably work based on things that you already been using. And if you keep comparing it to the way you utilize apps and you make purchases today, then you have it all wrong. And if there is something wrong with it, be a part of the change. Yeah. Don't sit around and complain about the thing that you don't like. Be a part of that change. This is providing opportunity. We're in such an early stage where there's so much that can come out of this. People just need to stop complaining and being and join and, and figure out, find solutions. Just like you said, like it, it's oh, right now the biggest issue is like, there's so many projects, there's so many different coins on different projects, whether you're on Solana, where you're on ETH, anything else that you have a project on. And then it's like, okay, now that I have the projects and I have all these different wallets because I have to diversify so that I don't get scammed, then it's like, okay, not only do I have different wallets and I have different channels, Discord, Telegram, like all over the place for these projects. And the DAOs have separate communication. And then there's within the channels, and then there's the new projects that I'm considering. It's not healthy. And, and we went from being in complete silence uh, about a year of our lives, at least where life was very slow, to an increase of like 100% from what we were doing to yeah. being busy, busier than we were before Ever. the pandemic. Because now we're not just busy in the streets, we're busy in our phones, mm -hmm. on our oh laptops. God, like you can't mint something on your phone, so you got to jump on the computer. You, you have an event, you have this, like we're going crazy and the fat, the more time that we spend at this pace, the more the downfall is going to be on mental health because it's going to affect our daily lives, our our involvement with people, the way that we learn to interact. I already see a lot of new things. Like there's like little nuances that I've noticed when I've been going to events and things and and communicating with people and. It's funny how people start to change so fast the yeah. way they interact with other people. And I'm actually very concerned for the next generation because this is what they're seeing and, and they're growing up around it. And so I'm interested to see, you know, what are we doing to 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 think about those implications that are going to happen? Maybe not right now at the surface. You don't see it. People are complaining. Everyone's trying to have a mental health like, you know, clubhouse or, or twitter space but that's not going to do anything that's not going to do absolutely anything like we need to have something that kind of steps in and says listen this is not okay fomo is not a real thing like it's not no yeah this is this generation's bullshit like it's it's not okay i think you made a great point to like in my belief like i think like you mentioned like a lot of people are nfts and crypto and web3 stuff and i think we're still the minority in many cases i believe like based on what we're seeing in the market we're still in kind of a bubble here like miami's very much crypto heavy but a lot of other places don't care about crypto people don't know what nft is or what it does so i still think there's kind of like an on-ramping of getting the next billion people into it um what i think is going to be interesting and what I like about the work that I do in my profession is, you know, we get to solve these problems and work daily on thinking about how technologies apply to solve problems for consumers and business. And I think the more builders that we're having and we're kind of seeing in Miami, the more we're going to kind of see more of emerging kind of like organizations, whether for profit or not, or open source or, you know, not open source in so many cases, closed, um, just building and kind of aiming towards solving these problems. And it's going to hopefully, you know, create a lot of opportunity for job opportunities to bring in that diverse um, inclusion and equity piece, as well as kind of like helping people like 
earlier in this talk, um, you mentioned like, Greg, you look really young. And I tell people all the time, you know, in Miami, looking really young is like a bad thing. It's like, oh, you're really young to be running a technology company, but you go to like California and all these different places and there are people younger than me mm -hmm. literally running multi-million dollar or billion dollar companies. So I think it's just about culture and I hope that some of that culture sprinkles here to Miami in the case of just thinking more about ownership and thinking more about how we can start kind of like being drivers of kind of innovation, which I think a lot of Miamians and a lot of people based here can be if they're given an opportunity and chance. Mm -hmm. No, no, and I think I think it is there. I wasn't saying it as a bad thing because I just met the uh, the new head of cybersecurity for Crypto.com, under thirty years old. Buy a lot. <laughs> I don't. I want to do everything I can to not dox them because again, very important not to do those things. <laughs> yeah. Especially for the head of cybersecurity. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that I think that's valuable. And um, you know, but I this think this has been a community of like not a lot of job opportunity um, for so long, like, or, or growth in a career. So there's very few people that stuck around that didn't leave and then come back. Um, so I think that culture of, like, you have to be an older person to be someone successful here because there were only a few jobs and it was like a fight for it, you know, like women against women. And it was just the the environment it was just how everybody acted here there weren't there wasn't a lot of tech jobs and the few ones that there were it was like the one with more experience and because people here don't know anything about experience experience is age right yeah, yeah and i think it's culture too not like to say like anything i'm just saying like overall what we see yeah. here in miami is like it's more based on that rather than achievement and i think that's going to be shifting a little bit but yeah just like you said like as a caribbean immigrant i'm from jamaica you know you're from all these different islands like people have this perception and mindset that you're at a certain age when you're achieving something like you just mentioned so the fact that somebody can be young here and maybe like the owner of board apes are starting that and you know are in their 30s or something like that a multi-billion dollar company at this point people just look at you strange so i think that's going to change and what ha what's happening what i'm seeing at least on the ground floor as a technologist is now you step in the room and there's more venture capitalists here in miami so there's like probably five to one venture capitalists compared to founders and that's a good thing in many ways because there means there's a lot of people that are willing to invest hopefully invest in locals not just people that are coming here for a moment but mm -hmm. i think there's a lot more investment happening and now what we need to do i think as a community from what my point of view is just kind of like find the builders find the silent builders the people that are doing stuff in their garage in their home and they're building really amazing technology and back them because i think that's what's going to kind of like shift this web three to being more diverse and inclusive and i just want really quick that you know yesterday i was speaking to a bunch of students at fiu and they were um um, at one point it was like who's hiring in the room and three people raised their hand and it was like okay everybody go talk to them and then you know I grabbed the mic I was like listen we're talking about web three here I go it just takes you taking initiative so get into your DAOs find the find the DAOs that are compensating contributors you know start doing the work it does you can be 18 you can be 30 you can be 50 um, it doesn't really matter and that's the beauty of web three is that if you take that initiative you can make something um, with yourself, with your career, you know, you don't need to wait for somebody's permission. And I think that's why there's so many people flooding to this space. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it makes a great point. Like uh, Meta, you know, co-founder Mark Zuckerberg, he had a piece where he's talking about like why he started Facebook and what made it successful. And I think in the piece, what he mentioned and he highlighted a lot was the relationships he got to build while at Harvard. And people kind of downplayed the relationship 
relationship piece a lot. And as somebody that graduated from FIU, I think what's happening here is like there's more access to the relationships that you would need to kind of further your career, even getting a job, getting investment. And that really changes your trajectory in many ways. Like um, somebody just said here, you know, before like 10 years ago in Miami, like the dream was go work at a big tech company. People would even think like go start a company or go join a startup. But now all of these opportunities are coming here. And what you're going to start seeing is people starting off with higher kind of like base salaries, people getting equity opportunities that turn into life changing money. It may not be a lot now, but it turns into that. And that's what kind of feeds, I think, into that wealth creation where you go and you kind of see young people having the opportunity to say, hey, now that I've made some money, I can now invest in the things that I really care about. Maybe it's not just in the capitalistic um, world, but maybe it's going back and investing back in communities and kind of showing people that there's a different path. So I think all of that just unlocks more opportunities. And I think that's why cryptocurrency for me is a little bit exciting. It's kind of that moment to kind of reset and say, OK, there's a new technology now that we can build upon and kind of grow really quickly and build real viable business out of. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, that brings us to the top of the hour. Let's uh, let's do some calls to action. Um, Greg, uh, where, where can people find you? Uh, what 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 type of clients are you looking for? And, um, you know, datagovs.com. I know that. Yeah, datagovs.com. You can find me. Um, you can find me at I Gregory Johnson on Twitter, Instagram and the rest. Um, yeah, just look at datagovs.com. We have a lot of uh, use cases and problems, and we kind of really spell out the type of people that we're looking to help and support there. So feel free to go there. Um, you usually can also find me sometimes in the community. I'm a builder, so I'm not out at a lot of events, but um, you can usually reach out to me at um, Twitter at igregoryjohnson, or if you're based in Miami, just type in LinkedIn.Miami, and it'll take you to my LinkedIn profile, and uh, feel free to reach out and connect. I, th- I saw that. I was wondering if LinkedIn. that was a typo or not. <laughs> Yeah. I like that. I like it a lot. And obviously, we're going to see you at the at the TEDx Miami next month or two months, technically. But I feel like April's already here, uh, so that's exciting. And then, obviously, we're going to see you at TEDx Miami. Yeah, you can connect with TEDx Miami by tedxmiami.com. Get your tickets for the May nineteenth uh, big event at the New World Center and uh, sign up to volunteer. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter. I post a lot of stuff about DAOs and, and Web3 stuff, and my Twitter is Sandy IRL. Awesome. Thank you both so much. I love how we ended this conversation, and it was such a pleasure having you both here. As always, you guys can listen. We're live on Tuesdays. At Jolt Radio. At 5 p.m., and you can find us on Instagram at uh, the Infinite Attraction Podcast and on Twitter, the IA Pod. That brings us to the top of the episode. I'll chat you guys later.